Well, good morning. How are we doing? Doing good. Awesome. Hey, my name is Britton. I am one of the pastors here at the Tabernacle. You guys hold on. Manistee, what's up? You guys have got to be used to this by now, right? Manistee, I'm so pumped that you guys are joining us at our campus there. I miss you guys. If you don't, if you've never seen me before, the cookies on the edge of the cafe, I'm usually right there. So yeah, I'm pumped that you guys are uh, joining with us live through the stream. So what's up? Welcome. Buckley still doesn't have a stoplight, so they're working on it. All right. Yeah. I'm glad you guys are here. Buckley, how are we doing? We doing good? Awesome, man. I'm glad you guys are here. Can I tell you um, my absolute favorite part about my job? It's not um, screwing with the campus pastors uh, as much as it might seem that way at times. Uh, my, my absolute favorite part of my job is not getting to go to those retreats. Um, it's not any of that stuff. My favorite part I learned just this week um, we were in Manistee doing Foundry, our student ministry there, and we showed the same video that you guys just watched, and the kids watch it, and, and some of them get excited. They've been there before. They're, they're seeing if they're in the video, all this stuff, but it's always that moment afterwards when a kid will be like, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And it's like the, oh, crap, like I'm going to have to get an incident report, like this, what is happening, like what happened? And they're like, hey, you, that looks awesome. I'm like, yeah, like we would love for you to come. And they're like, well, my family, you know, just this year, we can't really swing it. We don't have the money. Um, dad and mom are between jobs, whatever it is. And I get to say, without hesitation, I don't even have to think about it. I get to say, we got you covered. And so I want to say thank you to you um, as a church and as a congregation for the way that you give specifically to our student ministry through scholarships, because you're changing lives. You are changing lives. I stand here today as a scholarship kid. Uh, a story I'm going to tell you here later. The reason I was there is because I was on scholarship because somebody said, I'll pay for that bum. And uh, I got to go. But here's the thing. I was the kid that was just scared to ask his parents. We had plenty of money. Uh, <laughs> and so there's a little insight. So students in here, they're like, I'll ask for a scholarship. Then I don't have to go. Gotcha. All right. Been there, tried that. But no, uh, we really do. I, from the bottom of my heart, Adam and I appreciate the way you guys give to the student ministry because I'm telling you, you're making a difference. So thank you. Uh, the other matter of business before we kind of get into it today is tonight at our Buckley campus, Manistee, next week at our Manistee campus, Buckley, you'll still have your thing, but tonight at our Buckley campus, we are kicking off young adults, so YA kickoff is tonight in Buckley at 6 o'clock. We're going to meet here at T2. I'm pumped. We've got a crazy night planned. I have prepped four verses from the book of 1 John, and we're going to talk about that, and so if you thought it was going to be anything like the tabernacle, you were correct, so bring your Bible. Join us if you're between the age of 18 and 30. Coffee will be hot. It starts at 6. I know you guys will be here about 6.15, so, but we'll rock right there. So we'll be out right out in the lobby. There'll be a little area set up. Bring your Bible, bring a pen. We have a gift for you. If you come and join us for the first night, Manistee, I'll have a gift for you next week. So please come hang out. My wife, Hope, and I are pumped about this ministry, and uh, we're excited to see what happens. Um, at, at the end of the day, this young adults group is not a church. It's just a community within the church of people uh, in similar stages of life just trying to say yes to Jesus together. And so that's the goal. So if you're in that sphere of 18 to 30 or, uh, or you're, you know somebody, make sure they're invited, make sure they're here because it's going to be awesome. And uh, yeah, and you guys are the ones that make it awesome, not me. So I'll be excited to see somebody besides myself there. Awesome. So uh, I want to ask you guys to do something that... Uh, you're going to not like because you're northern Michigan people, but I'm going to tell you to do it anyway. So I just want to ask that you guys just bow your heads and close your eyes, if you would. If not, that's fine. Whatever. I just want to ask uh, that you take a moment 
And I just want to see if you remember something. I want you to think back to the first time you either heard, experienced, or maybe even believed the gospel. To the first time. Maybe it was at grandma's table. Uh, Maybe it was through how somebody supported your family around the holidays when you were a kid. Maybe it was right here in this room. Maybe it was at a camp or a retreat as a youth. Uh, I would encourage you, I would ask you, think about that moment. Who was there? What was going on? Think about that moment. And while your heads are bowed, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. And that through them, we get to know who you are. We get to experience who you are. We get to see the power of you in our everyday lives. And so God, as we seek to remember the moment you became real to us, I ask that you bring specific memories to people's minds so that they can do, as your psalmist said, restore the joy of their salvation. And so God, we thank you for that and we thank you and we ask that as we get into your word this morning that a little bit of your word could maybe get into us. And so it's in your son's name we pray. And if you agree, say amen. Awesome. Well, uh, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning, and I am excited about this because it's not chapter 14. So we made it, guys. We can all like, take a deep breath. We have arrived, right? Whatever. Get over it. It was fun. We made it. We're here. All right? But we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and, and something that we need to kind of hit on before we get into this is I need you to know This week, as I was prepping for for this message, and I was reading ahead to the messages to come from Pastor John and Pastor Tim through chapter 15, I realized something. Chapter 15, this is like a top 10 chapter in the Bible for me. Um, The things that we get to see and, and learn about the resurrection of Jesus from a doctrinal standpoint, and from just a, as it applies to my life standpoint, is incredible what we're going to learn over the next few weeks. So I would encourage you, if you're new with us or maybe you kind of bounce in and out, don't miss the next three weeks because this is crucial, not just to the Christian, but to the non-Christian. This is crucial to the life of a believer. These are things that, that we need to spend time thinking about as we strive to follow Jesus, to love God, to love people and make disciples. These are chapters that make a difference. Not that any of them are any different, but, but this is one that sticks. And as I was sitting at the kitchen table this, this week, as I was prepping the message, I remember my, my wife was sitting in the living room and I was like, it was like a very audible study session. I was yelling and like getting punched in the face. And it was just like one of those things. And this next 11 verses, guys, they cut me. I mean, they, it was down and dirty at moments. Like it was like, man, like the Lord is smoking me right now. And so I need you to know this morning, you might just be a part of the next 30 minutes of my therapy session, but I'm glad that you're here, and uh, hopefully you can relate, and if not, I'm glad that you're here anyways. So we're going to be in chapter 15, verse 1. Paul is writing to the Corinthians on matters of the resurrection. 
And he says, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul is opening this letter and he's saying, listen, guys, I want to make something clear to you. So it's like, finally, okay, okay. Paul's going to finally make something clear. This will be nice. All right, guys. But he's like, I want to make something clear to you because of what we've been through in just the past few sentences and the things that we talked about in the earlier parts of this letter, I need you guys to understand something as a congregation in Corinth as a church seeking to follow Jesus in the context of Corinth, I need you to hear this. I want to make this clear for you. And Paul is saying that to us today. As the tabernacle in Buckley and in Manistee or online, Paul is saying, I need to make something clear. And so that should perk our ears. That should get the notepads out, right? Click the pen, open the Bible. We're circle, underline, highlighting, all right? And Paul is saying, I want to make clear to you the gospel that I preached. See, because there were a lot of things happening in Corinth at this time, and the gospel was kind of being diluted. It was being turned into things that it wasn't. It was, it was becoming a divisive topic. And Paul is saying, no, the gospel is clear, and it is simple, and I need you to know that. Paul continues to say, this is a gospel by which you have received. This is a gospel that you are standing on, and this is a gospel that you are being saved by. And those can just feel like really clever ways to address the gospel, but contextually what Paul is addressing here and what he is making clear to the church in Corinth and what he's making clear to the church in northern Michigan, the tabernacle, is he's saying this is a gospel that is in the past that you received. It is a gospel that you are living in in the present that you're standing on, and it is a gospel that is present in the future that you're being saved by. Simply said, Paul is letting the church in Corinth know there is no gospel graduation. This is a gospel that is not going anywhere. This is a gospel that is here to stay. This is a gospel that is just as relevant today in your everyday life as it was whenever you were a child or a youth or when you were a non-believer. This is a gospel that's about more than just saving you. This is a gospel that will sustain you. This is a gospel that will sanctify you. This is a gospel that is preparing you for an eternal glory, and it's in all three fa facets, past, present, and future. That's what Paul is clarifying to the church in Corinth. He's saying, I want to make this clear for you. This gospel is good news. This gospel is for right now. And in the context of what we've just kind of journeyed through over the past couple weeks, it's like, okay, this is good. Paul is bringing this all back together. And for us as a church, I know that, that at both of our campuses, there are some people that are like, can these guys find a new trick, right? These guys, these teaching guys just get up here and they say the same thing every week. They just mix in a different story from their childhood trauma and they want us to laugh so that they feel like they're not the only one going there, right? You're supposed to laugh. No. <laughs> But what I need you to know is that the gospel is central to this church. The gospel is central to your life. The gospel is central to this thing that we follow called Jesus, this man that we follow. The gospel is not just an emotion that you experience. The gospel is not just this thing that is a one-time um, thing that you receive. The gospel is every day. 
And Paul is making that clear when he's saying, this is a gospel that you have received. And I would hope that some of you during our little exercise maybe thought to that moment when you were at camp or you were at grandma's table and it was clear to you. But then the second piece, he says, this is a gospel by which you stand. The, the first thing that comes to mind for me when he makes that statement of this is a gospel that you which you stand, it reminds me of one of the teachings from Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus is kind of closing out the greatest sermon ever preached and he makes clear to the Pharisees and the religious people that are around him that this thing, the gospel, is what we will stand on. It's what we will build on. You remember this story, the foolish builder. Maybe you don't and that's okay. I'm going to tell it to you because why not, right? Jesus is, is preaching to this group of people and he's saying, listen, you hear these words, but some of you do it and some of you don't. I'm paraphrasing. And the ones that, that don't do what I'm saying, the ones that don't obey, the ones that aren't applying the gospel to their everyday life, they're like a builder building their house on sand. Your house may look nice, your house may look like it's, it's got it all together, but when pressure is applied, when hard times come, when the, when the wind and the rain is the alliteration he uses, when difficulty faces you, the foundation will shift. Your house will be left and crumbles. And he says, but to those that hear these words of mine and they do it, their house will be like one built on a rock. The wind will come, the rain will come, difficulty will come, you will face hard times and at the end of it all, your house will be left standing because you're built on something bigger than you. You're built on the cornerstone, the rock that is Christ. And so when Paul is telling the Corinthian church, this is a gospel that you stand on, that's what comes to mind. This is the gospel that sustains us in the everyday. This is the gospel that allows us to face hard times, to face things like death and difficulty and stand with hopefulness because we know the one who brings life. This is the gospel on which we stand and he says it's the gospel that you're being saved by. And I know that can be confusing. You're like, wait, so I'm not saved yet. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is it's a gospel that's making you more holy. It's sanctifying you. It's making you more like Jesus every day. That's why we continue to apply it. That's why it's not a one-time experience, but a daily shift in our lifestyle choices. So that's what Paul is addressing here. And I know that for some of us, that's like, yeah, but I've, like, I've received this gospel. I've been there. Right? I remember when I gave my life to Christ and, and I started serving in a church and I was like, hey, like, what do you need? Like, I'm in, whatever. I don't care. Like, I'll just do it. And he was like, well, the guy that used to do our van maintenance uh, just moved. So if you want to jump in on church van maintenance, it's all you. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to tell him I don't know what I'm doing because I really want to serve here. And this is the option they gave me. So I'm like, all right, YouTube is my friend. I'm going to figure out how to change the oil in these vans. I know I can vacuum and I know I can like clean these things and detail them, whatever, but I don't really know anything about cars. All right. And there's people at this church that can attest named Brad Cropa that I call every time. Guys, I know the Buckley man's like, he doesn't know anything about cars. Dude, I drive a Hyundai Santa Fe. All right, calm down. I couldn't fit underneath it if I wanted to. All right. So but anyways, I, I digress. I'm YouTubing how to, to work on these church vans. And it's like changing the oil, changing the windshield wipers, all this stuff. And I'm in it. I'm in it to win it for like two, three months. And then they went on a youth retreat. And I didn't go on this youth retreat, but they took the vans. And at the conclusion of this retreat, the vans returned. And they're like, hey, we just need you to clean the vans out uh, so they'll be ready. Because our women's ministry is going to take them here in a few weeks. And I was like, yeah, sweet, no problem. I had no idea. 
what youth students can do to a vehicle. Now I do. Um, I do. I'm fully aware and I'm one of the problems. But like I'm underneath these seats like scraping, like tweezers getting gum out of the carpet, Mountain Dew spilled all over. Like it's disgusting. And I'm cleaning it out and there was a moment. There's got to be something more. This is it. This is the extent of what the gospel means to my life. I, I scrape Mountain Dew off the side of a van. And I remember I called one of my good friends. Uh, he's been a mentor of mine. And I'm like, hey, can we get coffee? He's like, sure. And I sit down with him and I'm like, what's the next step? Like, what's my next thing? Like, dude, I want to operate in my spiritual gifts. Like, you guys know where I'm going with that, right? I took this test. I know what I'm supposed to be doing now. Like, what's next? And he goes, I want you to read this passage. And I, d- I didn't even know where my Bible was. And it's been three months. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I go find it. And the passage he sends me to is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he reminded me in that moment, the gospel is one of humility. And if you think you've already received it, and you think you're past it, you think you're to the next level, that's what Corinth was falling into. That's what was happening in the church in Corinth. People were losing sight of the mission. People were losing sight of why they were doing what they were doing because they thought they were ready for the next step. And Paul is reminding them, this is what it's about. But anyways, let's keep going. Verse three, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Pause. When Paul says something like, what's most important, guys, that needs to, to get us in, right? Remember those pens I told you, circle, underline, highlight. What is he talking about? Because what, what Paul has been addressing for kind of the past few parts of this letter seemed important because he was addressing it a lot. But he's saying, listen, this is what's most important, that Christ died, that he was buried, that he rose, that is what's most important. That's what he's reminding the church in Corinth. He's clarifying the fact that a uh, language we use around here, this is a big rock. This is something worth remembering. This is something worth living for. This is a hill worth dying on. Listen, all those other things that I addressed, sure, they're cute. Sometimes they matter. But it's nothing more important than this, that Christ died, that he was buried, and hang on, that he rose again. That he rose again. And Paul is starting this letter out by clarifying to the Corinthian church that they've missed the mark. That they've lost sight of the mission. That they've made it about something that it's not. And he's saying, this is what really matters. This is it. This is what's most important. It's a big rock. It's a big rock that Jesus Christ was the atoning sacrifice for us. That he was the big church word, propitiation of our sins. That God's wrath was satisfied that day at Calvary. 
That because Jesus Christ bore the weight of our sin and shame on that cross, we all have an opportunity to come from death to life, to experience that resurrection power that he experienced in that grave because of him. That's what's most important. And that needs to be said because in today, in our culture and in our world, there are gospels that are being preached that say that that was not necessary. There are people that refer to the the need for hang on, churchy word, substitutionary atonement. All right, write that one down, Google it later. It simply means that Jesus was our substitute in his death. There are people that say that the need for substitutionary atonement is a wash. It was not needed. That as long as we're good people, we just love each other, bro, we'll be fine. That's called a progressive gospel and it's false. And Paul is making clear to us that Jesus Christ had to die that he was buried, and three days later, he rose. And the resurrection also, Paul is pointing out that this is crucial to our gospel. Jesus had to walk out of that grave, guys. If Jesus does not walk out of that grave, all of this is a waste of time. And he's going to go into it for like 50-something verses here. We're just going to go through 11. But he's making clear that the resurrection is the linchpin of our faith. That if Jesus Christ does not raise from death, then we are wasting our time. But he's saying this is what's most important. That Christ died, that he was buried, and that three days later he rose from that grave. And now, because of that, we have an opportunity to pass from death to life, to experience that same resurrection power in our own hearts and in our own lives through the same spirit that rose him from the grave. That is what's most important. Don't get it twisted, Corinth. Don't get it twisted, tabernacle. This is what matters. He continues into verse five. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul is giving an account here for the church in Corinth of evidence of the resurrection. Is he saying, guys, listen, because contextually we have to understand this is a Greek culture that they're existing in. And this idea of resurrection was one that was laughable to them. It was one that they wanted to disconnect from completely. The Greeks believed that upon death, your spirit would leave your body and it would go exist in some spirit world or something like that. And so this idea of a bodily resurrection was one that was just like hysterical to them. There's an account in the book of Acts where Paul is preaching on the resurrection and people are actually laughing at him while he's preaching. And so Paul is addressing this. This is a big deal to the church in Corinth because they are facing backlash. They're facing scrutiny. People are laughing at this faith that they believe in because of this idea of the resurrection. People are okay with the fact that Jesus was a teacher, that he tells you to love people, that he performed some miracles, but the fact that he raised from the grave was laughable to these people. 
And so Paul is trying to instill confidence in the church in Corinth, and I hope that he does that in you as well. And he says, listen, these were the people that saw it. There was this guy named Peter. Most of you probably have heard of this guy, right? He appeared, Jesus. Peter saw him. Then he appeared to the 12, then to 500 people, some of whom are still alive. You have to imagine there was somebody in that group, in that church in Corinth, when they read this letter, was like, I got to find one. I need to hear this story. But some have fallen asleep. And he says, then he appeared to James. This was the one that stuck with me. This is the James, not James of the son of Zebedee that, that we read about in a lot of the Gospels. This is a different James. This is James that is referred to in the book of Galatians as a pillar of the Jerusalem church. This is the James that wrote the book of James. This is the James that his mom was named Mary, and he had a brother named Jesus, and they thought he was insane. This is that James, the one that, that said our brother is crazy. He thinks he is the Christ. You see, guys, I have an older brother. His name's Bub. That's not his real name. That's what I call him. I'm not sure if I've ever said his real name, unless I was crying. I have an older brother. I love him. He's one of my best friends. He's the best man in my wedding. We've done a lot. We've been through a lot. One thing I could never get him to do, worship me. I tried for years. All right, I tried. Think about that. It's funny. It's laughable. But really, imagine your brother. I'm the Christ. I am the one God sent. Bro, you're insane. You just don't want to do the dishes, right? <laughs> but then there's a moment where he encounters the resurrected Jesus and everything changes. He goes from my brother is crazy to writing things in a book that say, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Don't just be hearers of this word. Be doers. Context when he's writing that letter Christians are dying every day. People are losing their life for this cause. And you're going to tell me he didn't experience the resurrected Jesus? You're going to tell me that when he saw that resurrected Jesus, everything didn't change for him? His brother, standing in the flesh, whew, changed everything. Changed everything. It changed the calendar. Think about these early Christians, what they went through the things that they suffered for. Guys, 2,000 years later, you're going to tell me this was sustained on a myth, on a trick, on a lie? So just as it was true for the Corinthian church, how much more true is it for us today? People have given their life for this cause. The resurrected Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. And then we get a look into Paul's personal testimony. I love this because whenever we look at this, we have to remember that Paul, when he first came to, to, Corinth, to Corinth, he's the one that preached the gospel that they believed. In chapter four, he refers to himself as their spiritual father. Is he saying, guys, listen, I'm the one that brought this gospel to you. Let me tell you about what it did in my life. I don't know if anybody in here has a dad that loves Jesus, but there's something about when that person you've looked up to for so long says, this is what happened in me. And if you're a dad in here and you've never told your kid why you're coming to church every week, today would be a good day. As you're sitting around the table at lunch, take some time to say, son, honey, this is why we do what we do. 
Because when I was in eighth grade, I had a youth leader that poured into me. And I met the living Jesus and he changed everything. That's why we make you go to Foundry, honey. It's not because we don't want you at the house. It's because I know what it did for me. We ever think that we don't spend enough time sharing the gospel with our own families? That if we would just let them know the resurrection power that it's had in our lives, how much it could change our dinner tables, how much it could change our homes, how much it could change our families, how much it could change our community, if dads would just step up and say, this is what Jesus did for me. I'm standing on toes today, boys. Let's do it. It's going to take men willing to say, this is who I was, and this is what he did. It's on you, though. Let's keep going. This is Paul. He says, last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For those of you maybe that haven't heard this story, Paul, his name used to be Saul. He was an enemy of God. He was, he was a person that was martyring Christians all the time. He was killing Christians in the streets. And then he had an encounter with the living Jesus, and it changed everything. Changed his name, which would be weird, just like, no, I'm Paul. Who's that Saul guy he's talking about? Like maybe Jesus was like just trying to give him a new identity to protect him from all the people he killed. I don't know. That's how my brain works. Obviously, none of you are going there. So, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not that insecure. Uh, <laughs> he encountered the living Jesus and it changed everything. And he continues and he says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Key word here, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. That was it for me this week. That was the one that had me in the dining room yelling and making a scene and hopes like, will you shut up and calm down in there, right? That was the one that as I read it again in my office the next day, it hit me. Because guys, I needed to hear that this week. I needed to be reminded of my place. I needed to be reminded of my status in the kingdom of God. And it is one of, yet not I. You see, Paul, as he proceeds in the 10 verses up to this point, he's saying, I preached more than anyone. I came and brought this to you. I worked harder. How many of us is that our gospel? Because I. Because I showed up on Sunday because I read my Bible today, because I did this. And Paul is reminding us of our status, yet not I. More simply said, it's not because I, it's because he. And so if I was to take a poll of the room today, before you just got the answers to the test, and I said, how do you know you're a Christian? And your response started with, because I, Paul is reminding us that we've missed the mark. It's not because I, it's because he. It's because he. It's because he bore the weight of shame and sin. It's because he died on a cross. It's because he 
rose from the dead, that we get to say, I am what I am. It's because he think about that moment as they're reading this letter and Paul has written to them as a church and they have their spiritual father say, listen guys, I know that this is everything you've seen from me, but I need you to understand something. It's it's not me. It's him. It's him. It's the grace of God that was with me. It's the power of the resurrected Jesus in my life that you're experiencing. It brings us to verse 11. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. I love that. Because Paul is making it clear. That church, we have but one job. We proclaim. We proclaim. That's it. That's our job. That's our role. We proclaim. Not because I, but because he. And if that idea of we proclaim is one that stirs up a thought of duty and discipline and grit and hard work, and I'm just got to do it and I got to hunker down, you're missing it. We don't proclaim out of an attitude of earning. We proclaim out of an attitude of gratitude. We have given, been given so much that the overflow of our hearts can't be but to tell people about who he is and about what he has changed in our lives. Because we can proclaim the fact that there's no one too far gone, too broken, too lost, that the living Jesus couldn't change everything for them. We proclaim just like Paul did for the church in Corinth. All he did was tell him what Jesus did in his life. He didn't give a defense for all these theological things. They're good. Study your Bible. Dig into commentaries. Do your thing. But at the end of the day, why are you here? Why are you doing what you do? Because he. Because he. And church, it's time that we go and proclaim him. It's time we proclaim him. It's about more than us. It's about more than our little pet theologies. It's about more than our little ideas of what this should look like. It's about him. And it's time we center ourselves back to that. Okay, fine. I was talking to myself. All right. That was me this week. Sitting in my office chair. How many decisions a day do I make because I? The way I love my wife because I. The way I interact in our home, because I. The way I work at my job, because I. Church, I missed it. I got lost in the stuff. I got lost in the busyness. And I needed to be reminded this week, and maybe you did too, that it's because he. Men, the way you love your wives is because he. The way way that you guys parent your children is because he. Students, the way you obey your parents, the way you walk into your schools, the way you sit at at a lunch table, the way you operate inside a locker room, the way that you interact at your extracurriculars, it's not because I, it's because he. It's because he. I needed that this week. I, I don't know where you're at, but I know where I was at, and it punched me in the mouth, all right? And I needed it. I needed it. It's because he that we proclaim 
And guys, the, the prerequisite for this is that we have experienced the grace of God in our own lives. And so I would challenge you today. I'd stand on the toes and I'd say, if your whole life, your whole discipleship journey has been one built out of duty and discipline, I would challenge, have you truly experienced the freeing grace of God in your life? Because it shouldn't be one of duty and discipline, but one of delight and of desire. It should be the overflow of your heart. And don't get me wrong, guys, there's times you get tired. It gets hard. It gets difficult. But that's when we need to be reminded that it's because he. It's probably because we've taken our eyes off him and we've started looking around us and we've forgotten why we're doing what we're doing. All right, still just me. Okay. It's because he. So if you've experienced that grace, that's why I had you bow your heads at the beginning. That's what we do now. We proclaim. We proclaim what he's done. Maybe you're in here, and when I said to bow your heads and think about that, your first thought was, man, these Christians are weird, <laughs> right? That could be you today. You could walk out those doors and begin proclaiming what he has done. Because it's nothing you can do. It's nothing you can pay for. It's nothing you can earn. It's Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross and his bodily resurrection that secures life for us. It's the power of that that dwells in us, that brings us back to life. Ephesians 2 reminds us that we were dead in our sins, but God, being rich in mercy, brought us back to life. That could be true for you today if you don't believe, if you haven't given your life to this Jesus, if you've never experienced that grace. Why wait? It changed everything for me. Let me tell you, I was broke down, beaten, and busted on the edge of my bed in Hayes, Kansas, and I met the living Jesus, and he changed everything. He changed everything. So why not you today? Christian in the room. You tired? You worn out? You lost sight of the mission? Let today be a day that we raise our gaze. We remember what he's done by walking out of the grave. And we come out of this place proclaiming the goodness of God in our own lives. We proclaim. So what we're going to do here in a moment is we're going to have a time where we can do that together. We're going to take communion. And communion is a great opportunity for us to start the process, to do what they refer to in the Old Testament as an Ebenezer moment, building a monument to remember what God has done. That's simply what that is. I know that was like super church ghetto, and Tim's going to get on to me for saying that, but whatever, right? It's remembering what he's done. It's placing a stone, a time in your brain to say, you know what? In January of 2023 at the Tabernacle in Manistee or in Buckley, I took communion and remembered what Jesus did for me, what he finished for me on the cross. And now I live my life for that. It's the reason that in the front of all my Bibles, I just have written down Houston, Texas, 2017. It's when everything changed for me. It's when the gospel became real. It's when I knew that I knew that I knew that what I was doing was what I needed to be doing. And so I would encourage you, Maybe that memory came to mind. It was grandma's table. Remember that. Maybe for some of us, it's today for the first time. But as we take communion, I need you to know, there's a few things that you need to know. Communion is reserved for Christians, for people that have confessed that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. They have believed in their heart and the resurrection, and they live for him now. And so if that's not you, and you're not ready for that yet, it's all good. Just please don't come take communion because scripture says that you would be drinking judgment on yourself. And we love you enough just to make you aware of that. There's no shame in this game. I just want you to know that. 
And maybe for the person in the room that, you know what, you've been following Jesus for a minute, but you've fallen away. There's some unrepentant sin in your life. There's some soul work that needs to be done. This isn't for you either. But it can be. And it's as simple as in that seat, right where you sit, saying, Lord, you know what? I've lost it. And I want to give it back to you. Not that you haven't lost your salvation. I don't want that to be what anybody hears. Right? I've lost sight of the mission. I've lowered my gaze. And I want to fix my eyes back on you. And I want to say, this is it. I want to proclaim today. There's going to be some bread. There's going to be some juice. That bread just represents God's body that was given for us. And his blood that was shed for us. So if you're a Christian in this room, or maybe you're not, and you want to pray a prayer, and you want to let today, taking communion, be the first time you say, you know what, I follow Jesus now. I'd welcome you to join us in that as well. So if you would, please just bow your heads. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we praise you. For who you are. For what you've done. Lord, we thank you that there's no one too far gone, too broken, too stuck. Because we know that there's nothing we can do on our own, but that it's through Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross and his bodily resurrection that we can experience new life today. And so God, if there's anybody in this room that wants to, to know you, that wants to say yes to you today, I pray that they not leave here without doing so. Lord, for the people in here that have been getting after it for a while, I pray that you bring them, just like your psalmist said, restore to them the joy of their salvation. And as we take communion today, Lord, we remember who you are. We remember what you've done. Your body given for us, your blood shed for us. And we take that not in vain, but with humility, eyes fixed on you, grateful. Grateful. And so, Lord, we praise you and we thank you. And it's in your son's beautiful, precious, and holy name that we pray. Amen. At both our campuses, we have stations in the front and in the back. So whenever you're ready, please join us in communion.